Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. All right, so Matthew 4.12 starts out, well, let me get there for you. Okay, when Jesus heard, all right, little recap, Jesus was tested in the wilderness, right, and he's about to begin his ministry. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, that's John the Baptist, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said to the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So we find out here that John the Baptist has just been arrested. It's funny, we just talked about a few weeks ago how John had this ministry, and he was a big, important person, and then he just pointed everyone to Jesus and, and went away and kind of was able to um, diminish, but now he's arrested. So, And he will remain in prison until his death in Matthew 14. We'll get there. Um, we'll go into more detail when we get there. But Jesus leaves Nazareth and goes to Galilee, and he stayed in Capernaum by the lake in the area of Naphtali and Zebulun, which Matthew points out to, again, draw the eyes of the Jews to the Old Testament prophet, Isaiah's prophecy concerning the coming of the Messiah. And we, I mean, if you've been a Christian uh, for any period of time, you are familiar with the name of this area, Galilee, because we know the Sea of Galilee. Um, And this sea um, is really a large lake, um, which is surrounded by about 30 fishing villages. Uh, Capernaum was the largest of these villages, and it's the town where they believe they found Peter's house, um, one of the first churches, just a little history. Um, so then Jesus begins to preach, and he begins his ministry the same way John the Baptist did. The first thing Jesus wanted the people to know, this is important for us, the first thing he wanted them to know before they see miracles before he teaches them about himself, before he, before he reveals himself and his heart to them, before they can come closer to know him more, it begins with repentance. It's the first thing. Repent. It begins with turning from sin and to God. If you missed that lesson, repentance means to turn from. Not to say I'm sorry, but to turn from. But not just a turning away from sin, but a turning to God. And let's see what that means in in the next verses, what it means to turn to God, away from sin and to God, away from who you were and who God's calling you to be. So Matthew 4, 18, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. 
So here we see Jesus calls his first disciples to him. Um, it says Simon Peter and his brother Andrew and James and John. And it seems like a quick interaction, right? He's walking by and he's like, come, follow me. And they're like, mm, all right, let's do it. They get up and follow him. Uh, like, it seems like they barely know the guy, right? Like there's just a supernatural instance where Jesus is walking by and he's like, leave everything behind. And they're like, all right. And they get up and follow him like maybe they're in a trance or something. Um, I don't think they really believe that, but it's just a real quick interaction. And you're like, what has transpired here? But we have to remember that each gospel has a different intention with different and they tell different parts of the story. Um, so to get the full picture to what led up to this moment, we're going to hop around a little bit. So if you would hop over to John 1. So it's Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And this is like, this is like a highly, um, a lot of anxiety for a pastor because when he tells people to turn somewhere, he has to get there first. Or it's like, people are like, why am I listening to this guy? He can't even get three chapters away. Um, so John 1, 35 through 42, says, The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, so he's not out of prison. We're going back in time a little bit, Okay. Um, look, the Lamb of God. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. He was there with two of his disciples. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them and following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So here we see that they had encountered Jesus before. Two of these men, one of them um, being Andrew, was a disciple of John the Baptist, okay? And most scholars believe that John is the other disciple mentioned here because John makes a habit of not mentioning himself. He'll be like, and then there was someone out there looking, and he doesn't say. And it, and it isn't, isn't it interesting, he says, and there were two disciples, one of them was this guy, and they don't say who the other one is. He's being humble. So most people believe that this was Andrew and John, not John the Baptist, but they were first followers of John the Baptist. So John the Baptist was successful in passing on devoted followers of him and saying, that, I mean, that would be hard. You know, these, these followers of John the Baptist, they're supporting him. They're helping him in his ministry. I'm sure they are encouraging him, right? And this is a time when John might need that, and he passes them on and says, no, you need to go serve Jesus. He's, he, that's what it's about. I've just been pointing people to him. So, so go there. And follow him. So they're followers of John the Baptist. He points out, look, the Lamb of God. And, and Jesus, says, Jesus says, come and see. They're like, where are you going? He says, come and see. Um, wouldn't it be great if Jesus just told us where he was going? And we could be like, cool, I'll meet you there. Make a few stops, I'll meet you there. But he just says, come and see. So they weren't really full timers yet. But they talked with him. So that we see he, they talked with him before. They, they, they saw who he was, the Lamb of God. John the Baptist had pointed this out. And in this verse... Matthew summarizes that he asked them to follow him and be fishers of men. But Luke goes into a little more detail, okay? 
Um, he, Luke is a doctor, so he's a detail-oriented guy. Okay, have you ever um, had friends who are very detail-oriented when they're telling a story, and there are other people that are not detail. I'm not detail-oriented when I tell a story, okay? I just want to get to the funny part. If I'm telling a story, it's usually because I think it's funny, unless I'm up here and then I'm telling a story about the Bible. Um, but usually I'm trying to get to a story. But I have a friend, and he'd be like trying to tell, he'd be telling a story. It's my brother-in-law, Robbie. And when Robbie <laughs> tells a story, he's like, okay, so craziest thing happened, craziest thing happened. So I'm walking down the street. I'm headed southeast, and I walk into a restaurant. Um, Billy Bob's is about 6 o'clock. There's um, two guys sitting here and here, both facing me. There's someone over there not looking at me, and I'm just like, mm-hmm. My, when my sisters told a story like that and I was a little twerp, I'd be like, and to make a short story long, just like, okay, 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 right? And it's funny because he gets that from his dad because when I start telling a story, and I'll be like, man, so I walked in this place, and these guys were like, and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. What direction were you heading? <laughs> How, what, what, where were the people facing? You know, and I'll be like... I'll be like, it's not important, it's not important. It's not going to be funny when I get to it if I give all the details, right? Um, and so this is Luke. Luke gives us a more detailed encounter. And this is a story we might be familiar with where Jesus tells them to cast their nets on the other side. Um, and we could go into greater detail in all of this, but we could just, it could just take forever. Um, and who wants to take forever studying the Bible, right? No, just kidding. Um, so this is, this is immediately following that moment when Jesus went out with them on the boat and told them to cast on the other side. And, and it's found in Luke 5, 8 through 10. And after they had found this catch, when Jesus told them to cast their nets on the other side, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid, from now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Same story, a little more detail. So now they've heard who he is, right, from, from John the Baptist. I'm sure they passed it on to their friends and brothers. And now they've seen with their own eyes who he is. They've seen something that he has done, and he invites them to follow him. And this isn't an invitation for them to walk beside him. This isn't like, hey, come walk with me a while. Um, this is an invitation to follow him, like, and it's understood. Rabbis at this time would call students to follow them, and it was like, leave everything behind. You're going to become my student. I'll be your mentor. There were holy men who did the same. There was an understanding. You are leaving this behind and stepping into something new. You are now my student. You go where I go. And they get up and follow him. Easy, easy decision, right? I mean, they're just fishermen, right? Some people, some people are like, giving up a life of fishing every day? Ah. That would be hard. Right, Rick? Um, no. <laughs> but, but to these, let's look at, um, but we, we, we picture like, okay, these, these guys are poor, right? Um, they'll get more glory and fame following Jesus. So it's an easy decision. They're giving up like a mundane life of, of being poor to follow Jesus and get glory and fame. But let's kind of look at what they're actually leaving behind. So the Sea of Galilee um, is a food basket for the entire region. Bethsaida, where they lived, means house of fishing. So there's a booming fishing industry in this area. And then to these specific fishermen, I mean, I think, uh, let's look at what kind of fishing operation they have. So we already saw in Luke 5.9, if you were paying attention, 
It said, For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. So they're partners in this fishing operation. And in Luke 5, 2, we see that it says, He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. So we know they had two boats, their partners. And in Mark 1.20, we see without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So if we look at that, we know they have a, for this time, this is a pretty good fishing operation. There's, there's a partnership. They have at least two boats. There might be two boats on the shore and some out there right now. They're partners. They have several boats. There are hired men that work these boats. So it's a pretty good fishing business um, that their father has set up. And also, the Gospels continually say, they always say, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, right? It's like every time they're mentioned, the sons of Zebedee. What's Peter's dad's name? Who knows? I know. But his dad's name is Jonah. After he got, not the same Jonah, okay? But in Matthew 16, 17, Jesus does say Peter, son of Jonah, but nowhere else is Peter identified as a son of Jonah, Okay, so what does that tell us? To me, it seems to tell me that Zebedee is well known, right? He's got this fishing operation. It's been going for a while. Everyone knows who Zebedee is because this, when they're writing this, they're writing two people in the area to, and, and they're identifying these people. Hey, James and John, son, sons of Zebedee. We might just think that they're, they're, that's just something they say um, to, about everyone, but they don't say it about everyone. They just specifically say it about James and John. So if this guy is well known, He's pretty prominent in the community. He probably has a really good fishing business, okay? It, it doesn't mean they're rich, but they're by no means poor. And these guys are doing what they've been born to do, what they've been doing all their lives, what, what they had experience in. These guys, I mean, their father has a fishing business. They've been doing this since they were little. They're probably at home cleaning fish. Like when my dad was a pastor, every movie we watched on Saturday, I was folding bulletins, okay? Okay. Good thing we got rid of bulletins. I might just make some up so my kids can learn about that, right? You know they were like putting hooks on lines and stuff like that. They, they know what they're doing here. And then Jesus comes and says, no, you're not going to do that anymore. You're going to be fishers of men. And we see, or uh, this one, it says fishers of people, right? But that's not the original, okay? Um, so we see the statement in Mark and Luke, you're going to be fishers of men. And they're at a crossroads. And where they are right now, as fishermen, their position in society is safe. James, as the older brother, he's going to inherit this fishing business. And they've been raised with this in mind. You know how it is. From the moment they're born, one day you're going to take this over. Hey, you need to learn how to do this because one day you're going to take this over. Hey, one day you need to learn how to lead these men because one day you're going to take this over. Hey, you need to gain these people's respect because one day this is going to be all yours. You're going to take this over. This is what you will be. This is what you'll do. This is what I've provided for you. And it's nothing to scoff at. This is a really good, they're in a really good position. It's what they've been planning for their entire lives. It's what their parents have been planning for them. It's what they've been preparing to do their entire lives. They most likely even felt prepared to take it on, right? 
Because when they're about to, when they're getting the age where they can take over from dad, you know, you know, as sons, they're like, well, why don't we do this? Why don't we expand? Hey, what if we started using these nets? You know, and they're starting to plan like, well, when we take over, we're going to do this, right? We're going to get online and we're going to make it so that you can buy a lot of fish from one site, right? And then we'll begin streaming football games from that site and no one will be able to watch because it'll be blurry because everyone's on that site, right? <laughs> and, and they have, all, they, you know, they have all these ideas and they might even be getting excited about taking this over because the moment's coming closer, coming closer. It's everything they had been working up to their entire lives. It's everything they've been doing. And then Jesus says, leave it. I want you to leave it behind and follow me. Leave everything that you know behind and follow me. I want you to leave the safety of that behind and follow me. Leave the security of that and follow me. But also, if we look back to Mark 1.20, we see it says, without delay, and I've read this before, but without delay, he called them, and they left the hired men in the boats. But who else did they leave? Their father, holding the nets. The father, because he's working to build this fishing industry for himself, but I know that as he's training those sons as boys, he's looking at them and saying, this is for them. Part of his motivation when he goes to work is building something for them, is leaving something for them, providing for them, caring for them. Zebedee, when he is working out there, when before they could even get on the boat, they are present in his mind as he's fishing because this is for them. And they know it. They know how much effort their father has put into this and how much care he's put into it, knowing that it's going to go to them. That might have been the most difficult thing to deal with as they get up and they leave their father in the boat, holding the nets that he and his sons had helped make together. Internally, it was probably a very difficult moment for them and a very difficult moment for Zebedee. But Jesus said, and people, people often misunderstand this verse. People like, kind of hate this verse. It's one that people bring up when they don't know a lot about the Bible and they're trying to be whatever. But in Luke 14, 25, it says, Now large crowds were going along with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple." And this is in the sense of indifference to or relative disregard for them. Not like he's not telling you don't love people, hate people. But in comparison with the attitude for God. And people really hate that verse. You're like, hate my family? That's just weird. Um, and he's not saying hate. But if we read on, he says, whoever does not carry his own cross, expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come, and follow after me, believing in me, conforming to my example in living, and if need be, suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me, whoever does not carry his own cross cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a watchtower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to finish it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is unable to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Jesus, when he's talking about your, how you feel about your family, he's talking about the cost. 
And you can tell that when you continue down the verse. He's talking about the cost to follow him. And I'm not saying, don't like, because this isn't like cultish. We're like, well, I have to go live in uh, Oklahoma now on a ranch. You know, that's, that's not, and we don't, we don't talk anymore. That's not, uh, he's not cutting, their, they don't, they're not cutting their father off, okay? I'm sure they still have a relationship with their father, but they have to be willing to set aside their love for their father, because they love their dad. I mean, that's a, that's a thing of like, oh, Jesus, man, I don't want to let my dad down. I love my dad. He's done all this for me. I don't want to let him down. But they have to set that aside. They, they have to look back and see him holding the nets and be like, this is hard to do. Okay, this isn't like, well, I hate him now. Right? Jesus said, hate you. I hate you. No, it, it's like, man, it's hard. It's hard. I've got to go into this. I've got to go follow Jesus no matter what happens. Right? And Zebedee could have been perfectly fine with it, but Zebedee could have also like, been like, it's just a phase. They're young. You know, they're young. It's just a phase. And then maybe as it began, to, this isn't a phase, be like, okay, now we need to talk about this. Okay? I'm going to have you over for dinner. We're going to talk about this, okay? Because this is not what's happening. Okay? That was cool. I let you go. We don't know. We don't know Zebedee's reaction. Okay? But we know his heart, and we know his, there's, uh, his son's heart for him, but also their heart for Jesus, and they had to go. They had to go. And this, for, for us, this is kind of like, this, it doesn't often happen. Maybe, maybe there's some discouragement, right? Maybe people don't hang out with us as much, right? But for Muslims who become Christian, this is, they're like, oh, I get that. I understand that. I have to love Jesus more than my family because my family might cut me off. For believing this. My, my family might be ashamed of me and never speak to me again because I believe this. And in some cases in the Middle East, my family might kill me to get rid of the shame that I am for believing in Jesus. So other, other people in other places get this verse. We get, we get all kind of like, oh, I hate your family. But a Muslim who became a Christian can be like, yes, I understand that completely. I must love Jesus more because what Jesus requires of me is everything and nothing, no one can be the cause of me turning back. Nothing can cause me to turn back. We risk disappointing people. We risk losing relationship. And I have relationship with a lot of old friends, but like it's not what it was. It's not, it's not what it was. And God's given me new relationships you know, some that are great, you know, I'm not, just kidding, I was going to do something, I'm not changing my mind. All right, um, but we risk a lot. We risk safety and security. And this isn't just about, because this isn't just about going into ministry. Like, well, yeah, that means if you're going to be a pastor or you're going to be a worship leader or you're going to be a missionary, right? That's not what they're talking about. This is about following Jesus, about being a Christian. That's what it means, to love Jesus first and foremost. And it could cause some discomfort for us in what we believe any, at work. Bring us into conflict with our, our children's schools. It can bring us into conflict with, and, and, and our, our job is not to start conflict or even continue conflict, but it can hurt. You can feel isolated. You can be disappointed. You can, people can be disappointed in you. You can be disappointed in them. But we have to be willing to do whatever it takes to follow Jesus. We have to step out of safety. 
We have to leave our plans behind, leave other people's plans behind, step out of our routines and our hopes and our desires and follow wherever he leads. And he doesn't say where he's going. I have a friend who always says, um, and if you know him, it's probably a little bit more colorfully. Um, I, I keep doing this, and I'm like, I'm not going to say it is. And I'm like, I'm just going to say who it is. All right, so Robert always says, um, he's like, I always thought Christians were the biggest wimps. I always thought they were sissies, you know, lovey-dovey, blah, blah, blah. He's like, until I became one, and then I realized that it takes courage, that it's a fight, that it's every day of your life, that it's commitment. And now I know that being a Christian, you got to be tough. you got to be tough. And this, this is a reason, man, people in this area, when Jesus goes, they're known for their courage. They are known for their courage. And perhaps Jesus goes there to get his first disciples. This is not for sissies. This is all in. And maybe I think as Christians, we, we've settled for safety. We've settled for an idea of too safe. That is not who God is. We have this idea of God that's just too safe. Right? And he's not safe. He's not safe. He's dangerous but he's good. He's dangerous, but he's good. And sometimes as Christians, we have to ask ourselves, do we get a little too scared to leave the beaten path and follow where God is leading? Do we desire to visit Jesus and then continue our lives as we see fit? To have a scheduled time, I'm going to go see Jesus and learn from him and whatever, and then I'm going to go back and fish. And we're not talking about giving up our jobs, Okay. We're talking about the commitment level because God can still teach you and be with you and walk with you while you're fishing. But it's about our hearts. Are we ready as Christians to follow Jesus into the unknown, not knowing where he's leading? Because that's what they did, right? He said, come be fishers of men. Were they like, what did he say? I think he said fishers of men. What is that? I don't know. I think you misspoke. Let's just go, right? Like, I, we, they don't know what that means. He's like, get, leave everything you know behind. Leave your profession. Leave your safety and security and come do this thing. You don't know what it is. You don't know what it entails. But Jesus, when he invites us to follow, what are we going to do? The only guarantee they have of what will happen to them, the only guarantee he gives after he calls them, if we look back at John 1, 49, 51, Nathaniel answered, this is um, after what we had read a little bit earlier, um, and they go get this guy, Nathaniel. Rabbi, teacher, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus replied, because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, because he told him he saw him under a fig tree, do you believe in me? You will see greater things than this. Then he said to him, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You will see the angels of God, heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the bridge between heaven and earth. And here he's referring to Jacob's ladder, the vision that their forefather had in Genesis 28 of heaven touching earth at Bethel. Heaven coming to earth. This ladder was like, 
he had this amazing experience, right, where he saw angels coming down. He saw heaven touching earth. And this is like a, an amazing experience that they've told, they've passed on through generations that these Israelites know their forefathers so long ago had this moment in Bethel where he saw heaven touching earth. It was a miraculous moment seeing heaven, heaven opened. And Jesus says, if you follow me, you will see heaven touching earth. You will see the same thing your forefather saw. And you thought he was great and you thought he was special. But you, fishermen, you will see heaven touching earth. But you have to get up. You have to follow me wherever I go. You'll see the lame walk. You'll see the blind healed. You will see the dead come to life. You will see things that cannot happen. You will see things that no one else has seen. You will see the power and the glory of the living God touching earth. You will see it in your lifetime. You will see it tomorrow. You will see it the next day and the next day. You will see heaven touching earth, but... You have to leave all that behind. All of it. And the call hasn't changed. Call hasn't changed. I believe that God has called us each by name. By name. He doesn't say, whoever wants to come, whoever wants to follow. It's like Jesus walking by like he did, just like he did with James and John, says, Noah. Get up and follow me. Grant, get up and follow me. Now I have to do Evan and Caleb too. Evan and Caleb, sons of Brian. <laughs> Leave Brian behind. Okay, not Denny. Leave Brian. And follow me. It's a big deal. And that's why we see, we saw up to this moment, we saw they had encounters with Jesus. They had encounters with Jesus. And then they had to decide, come, are you going to come and see? Are you going to come and see? And so I ask you, are we going to come and see? Are we okay with worshiping a God or half worshiping a God who is safe? Where we just give him part time, part, part of our life. And I'm not saying we just go like, like give up our jobs and go live on the streets. And so I'm saying, let's God ask you to do that. But I'm saying... Does he have everything? It's funny, as, as that lady was up here earlier talking, I was like, man, that's, that's dead on of what I'm talking about. And she doesn't know. I don't call my mom and tell her what I'm talking about. It's dead on. And so we know God is calling us, not just part of us. He wants everything. Every bit of who we are, he wants us to follow him just like this. Not just pastors and worship leaders and elders. He wants every single person who is his to follow him like this. To leave the nets and take up our cross and go where he goes. Will we follow? Let's pray.
I want us all to just examine where we are in our hearts. Examine our relationship with God and ask ourselves, or he's probably asking us, have we really given him everything? Have we really decided to follow Jesus? And if you have, I just want you to declare with me, and I don't have a written up thing, so you can't declare with me. No, let's do it. I'm just going to make, I'm just going to talk. And I want everyone to just lift your hands. If you've decided, and you may have decided a long time ago to follow Jesus, but maybe over time, it's gotten a little bit less and a little bit less, but we have to follow him wholeheartedly, everything that we are. And if you're ready to do that, if you, if, if you need to recommit, raise your hands up in the air. Who cares? Be like David. Who cares what anyone else in this room is doing? And just repeat after me, Lord, I love you. I want to see heaven touching earth. I want to follow you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my body, with all my strength. Lord, make me yours. Make me new. Lord, I commit to taking up my cross, leaving the nets behind, and following you wherever you go. You don't repeat that for me. Lord, I just pray. I just pray over us, Lord. I pray over your people. I pray over the Christians in this nation, Lord, and the world. But it has to begin somewhere, Lord. I just pray that we would not settle for a God who is safe. That we would not settle on being part-time Christians, but that we would follow wherever you lead, Lord. I believe with all my heart this is a reason we have not seen heaven touching earth. There are denominations whose core beliefs are that you don't do things like that anymore because they haven't seen them, and I don't think anything has changed in your power, in your glory, in your authority, your willingness to work. You said we will do greater things than these, and I believe that is still true if our hearts will just align with yours our hearts will just align with yours, Lord. So we declare as a church that we, our hearts will align with yours. We will follow where we lead, where you lead. We will do what you ask, Lord. Make us into true followers of Jesus. Make us more like you, Lord. And begin today, begin now. May we hear your voice. May we sense your spirit prodding us Lord, and may we step out of the mundane and leave our nets behind and leave our plans behind, leave our safety behind and our security, Lord, and be willing to step into what you have for us to come and see where you will lead, Lord, that we can see heaven touching earth, Lord. I just pray that you would do it in the name of Jesus. I pray that we would leave this place and we would go out with joy and be led forth with peace. That we would go out dancing like David, that you would fill us with the joy of the Lord, and then it would be our strength. Help us to know you more. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.